When life deals you difficulty, have you ever considered trading in your difficulty for service to another? On this Mother's Day, we're going to discuss a woman who does exactly that. So, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And I am Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and we are clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And also here with me to share in with the conversation is... Anthony Allegria. And again, these are a bit of Bible study in their, their leaning and their orientation, but we are taking them and doing a little bit more of a conversation. So that being said, if you have any thoughts, questions, or comments you want to share with us, please send them to us. And I just want to throw this out there as a bit of a disclaimer on the front end. This is something to supplement your, your walk, so make sure you're supporting your, your local church and you have a good fellowship there where you're being a part. But without any further hesitation, let's get into this conversation about Ruth and trading in your difficulty for service. Because we live in a day and age where a lot of times people, they realize that suffering is intrinsic to life, that people have stuff in them, but yet they kind of use this as a wedge to hold people down. Our modern world is littered with ways that do this, and the worst offender is identity politics. It says, look at your, your skin color. What are you? Are you a man? Are you a woman? You know, you, you have privileges or oppressions based on superficial characteristics, and it's terrible because it leaves people in a place where they're not actually able to arise out of that. But when you look to the story of Ruth, that we're going to study here in a moment, we find that God, he raises someone up who simply says, look, I've got a lot of difficulty in life, but I'm going to take a leap of faith on what service I can do for the kingdom of God. And of course, Ruth is famous for saying, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So let's get into this. God designed people to live as families. When this is where they are collected together as sovereign units, serving God as his image with the charge of having dominion over the earth. Mothers are unmistakably essential to this providential design. From the beginning, God has used families to give life to creation. And yes, that is a very literal thing. It's where it's a spiritual thing. Families are a very strong thing. Even ancient Rome realized that if men are, are married, they're not going to be very loyal to Rome. Even, you know, the most powerful armies in the world, they couldn't have anything on the strength of a nuclear family. And mothers, they make up a huge part of this, a massive part. And mothers have a great responsibility of raising up wise children. And today, we're going to look at Ruth, who is a very fascinating mother from our history. And in fact, she's one of the mothers in Jesus' genealogy. That's an interesting thing. So, the story of Ruth begins with a woman who neither knew the Lord God of Israel nor had a redeemer in life. She humbled herself and she left the gods of Moab and requested redemption. And guess what? She found it. Anthony, what are your thoughts whenever you hear the story of Ruth? Is that something that you think a lot of people are familiar with? Have you spent a lot of time studying Ruth throughout your life? I've definitely uh, seen it a couple times before. And I, w I think it's definitely one of those stories also that's in the, tool in the tool belt of a lot of Christians. You know, there's sort of yeah. like, it's almost like we have a canon of stories from the Bible that we keep in our tool belt. And I think Ruth is part of that. Well, let me ask you this then. Do a lot of people have in the tool belt this acknowledgement that says, hey, sometimes when we have difficulty, we cash that in for service. How, many, how often do you think people do that? Well, I think definitely like all those, um, there's a variety of interpretations. And so right. I would say uh, a lot of times people are not looking at it from that perspective. Well, I will say this, though. A lot of times when people get mad at one another, they have something come in their, their life, they, they get into someone, you do find people like go and busy themselves. Like they, they get their hands busy. They go and they start working. They you do. find people who are mad and like go and clean their 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 house or something. Have you De ever? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that, that's kind of a little bit of a take on this. Like your natural tendency to says when things are difficult, you're going to go busy yourself, take your mind off of it. But Ruth really takes this to a a phenomenal level. 
Um, she embodies this trait that says, look, life is difficult and I'm going to give service to someone else. She's going to take on this difficult task of being a caregiver. It's really, really interesting. Well, I think she has an amazing sense of duty. Yeah, she does. And it doesn't really make sense for her too, and especially when Naomi releases her from that. So the story of Ruth opens up with chapter one with a woman named Naomi. Yeah, the story actually starts with Naomi, not so much with, with Ruth. And Naomi, she is a married Jewish woman. She has two sons. She's got a parcel of land, and you see hints of this throughout the story. But Naomi, she's a married Jewish woman with two sons. And Naomi, her and her family, they are pushed out of Judah because a famine comes to the land. So they have to go somewhere else. So if you can just imagine owning a house, owning some land, and you get sent somewhere else because, well, it's just famine. You can't grow anything. Naomi and her family, they go and they set up a new home and life for themselves in Moab. And, of course, you could expect that they would want to return sometime to the land of Judah, but for a while they have to go live in Moab. And as Naomi's two sons, they grow up, they end up marrying Moabite women. And they seem to live together for about ten years. But after about a decade, her two sons pass away as well as her husband, leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law all widows. And, of course, her daughters-in-law, one of them is named Ruth, and the other is named Oprah. And Ruth, the woman who lends her name to the book, she starts to reveal a character that is very fascinating. It's where we see one who, against all odds, they say, look, there's no certainty in this. I'm not getting any material gain, but I've been dealt a great hand of difficulty. And instead of me kind of staying there and maybe capitalizing that the way people do with identity politics, she says, no, I'm going to turn my heart to someone who I don't even know. She doesn't really know the Lord God of Israel. Again, she's a Moabite. She's never been raised around this. She doesn't know the Jewish people, but she says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she says, I am going to dedicate my life to service to my mother-in-law. And this is the leap of faith. So let's begin in Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord God deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. And then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. Verse 10, then they said to her, No, we will return back to you with your people. In verse 11, Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that you may enter and become husbands? And verse 12, Turn back, my daughters. Give back, go back your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, why would you then wait till they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. And then they wept aloud again, and Oprah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now Ruth is an honorable woman. She makes the selfless choice to serve her mother-in-law. And even though she is released from any obligation she would have to care for her mother-in-law, she is going to indebt herself in a really interesting way because it's against all sort of material wisdom. Because you've got to keep in mind, Ruth and Naomi are a very different tribes. One is a Jewish lady and the other is a Moabite. And Anthony, Moabites and Jews tend to have the same lifestyle? No. Uh, I think at least one difference for sure, would be religious. Oh, yeah. Um, the Moabites have their gods. The Jews have the Lord God of Israel. And if you're a Moabite like Ruth, you've probably not learned a lot about the Lord God of Israel. But yet, for some reason, 
Ruth has this obligation where she says, no, I'm going to go with you. This truly is fascinating. Life deals us all manner of sufferings, and people do a lot of things with that. But Ruth, she trades in her sufferings, leaving them behind for service to another. She is taking on the weight of a caregiver, and that's not an easy thing. you got to keep in mind, Ruth, she's not just a widow herself. Her mother-in-law is a widow. Her sister-in-law is a widow. They're all widows. It's hard for one person to take care of another. Even in a modern day and age, a lot of people who are caregivers themselves are on fixed income, something that I've seen a lot in life. Um, Oftentimes, people who are caregiving aren't really in a good position to do that, and it's always a difficult thing, even if someone does have good income. But for a widow, it's in the ancient world, it's even more difficult. And when Naomi looks at Ruth, she says, look, you're Moabite, I'm Jewish. We both have a better chance if you're in Moabite territory and I'm in Jewish territory. But yet, Ruth says, look, a lot of bad things have happened. I'm going to still care for you. I'm going to be in service for you. There's no rational reason for this. It doesn't make sense unless you actually consider the heart and the soul. Anthony? Well, I will say, could you ask for a better wife, though? I'm not sure that you could ask for anything more from a wife to, after you've died, to then, in poverty, take care of your also wid widowed mother. And to do it at such a high cost. Like, if they were both Moabite women and they were in Moab, it would actually be a little bit easier. Or if they were both Jewish women going back to live in, in Judah, you know, things would be a little bit easier. But the fact that there's this huge divide between the two, you know, this is a huge undertaking for, for Ruth. It really is. But yet Ruth, she is a servant, and she is suffering again. She's a suffering servant, but yet she trades in her suffering, and it's legitimate suffering, for a life of service. This is an interesting thing, and it's actually a really good tool to have in your belt. Whenever life has come to you and dealt you some difficulty, and this could be a lot of different things, actually busying yourself is a good way to, to pull through it and to, to elevate yourself to, to the point where you're not trapped by the chaos of the world. You know, the, we had that saying, the, devil's, or the devil loves idle hands, or the idle hands of the devil's playthings. I think I can get that, that colloquialism term out. But there's a lot of truth to that. Whenever there are idle hands, they are easy prey. And and sin, chaos, suffering, all these things can grow and fester when people allow it to fester. But yet at the same time, in difficulty, getting out and doing service, one can often find meaning in life again. They can find purpose again. And this is what Ruth is really doing. And she's doing it in such a way which is really working against her. But at the same time, she has this commitment to, to her mother-in-law. And she's even made that profound statement there early on in the book where she says, Your people will be your people, your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And that's a very powerful leap of faith. And it's not about what she can receive, but instead how she can serve. So as the story unfolds, Ruth finds herself in favor with a man named Boaz. And he's an upstanding man who is somehow related to the family. And this is very good. And as chapter 3, we find that Ruth uses her favor with Boaz to ask him for the protection of marriage. And again, if you read the whole book of, of Ruth, you kind of feel like you're a little bit of a third wheel to the story, and that's probably bad language to describe this because there's a lot of awkward scenes in the story of, of Ruth. But nonetheless, you look at this and you can tell there's some cultural things going on that we don't necessarily get in the modern day and age. Do you feel that way, Anthony, sometimes when you read this? You're like, there's got to be yeah, some more to this definitely. piece. Yeah, um, definitely. There was a couple things that you just pointed out this morning that uh, I, did, I did not know at all, and I would have just read over it and just just moved on about my way. Yeah, with, with Ruth... Not only is she herself needing redemption, again, she's she's a, a widow, but also, and redemption in the Old Testament, you've got to remember, is this idea that you have 
commitments in life, maybe you've got obligations, you are not able to make good on your own commitments and you're not really able to take care of yourself. You know, say you're a farmer and you're not able to, to supply grain and you've got people expecting it, your redeemer would be the person who steps in to fill in that gap. Or say you've got debts that you're unable to pay, or maybe you, you pass away, or maybe you get sick, you're not able to work. Whoever comes to to pay your obligations or do the work for you, that's your redeemer. And for for Ruth, she has this obligation where she's she hasn't been married, she doesn't really have a good way of taking care of herself, she needs a redeemer. But also she has a mother-in-law who she's now taking care of, and her mother-in-law doesn't have any way of taking care of herself either. And on top of that, her mother-in-law has this property that she's not really able to do anything with, and you know that, that becomes a burden for society when you've got unused land and things of that nature. And it all boils down to is redemption is needed in this situation. And by the material strand of the world, they would say, well, go with your people, go back with the Moabites, and, and Naomi's going to go back with the, the, the Jewish people, go the way that the world would tell us to. Don't don't listen to any sort of duty or obligation, and even Ruth is released from that. But yet, she takes a leap of faith and says, no, I'm going to care for you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So let's pick up in chapter 3. Because after she finds favor with Boaz, she does something which is a little bit strange. I don't know, does it ever strike you strange, Anthony, when you see what, what Ruth does with Boaz? No, I mean, it's extremely weird. I think yeah. there's, there's a ton of... Um, Jewish like culture that unless you understand it in its context, you're just gonna have no idea. You're just gonna go over it. Well, and actually, I think it. this is one where it's embarrassing whether you know the context or not. That's true. And um, Ruth chapter three has a lot of embarrassing scenes in it. And I was actually reading through def- different commentaries, getting prepared for this. I think it was the old interpreter set. I don't think it was the Beacon. I can't remember. One of the old commentary set was talking about how this is embarrassing to read. And if you know the Jewish culture behind it, it only gets more embarrassing. And they had like a little footnote in that says, if you're preaching Ruth chapter three, just move by it as as quickly as you can, because the more time you spend in it, the more studying you do, the more embarrassing it gets for everyone involved. So um, anyways, I guess we'll... We're going there though. We are going there. (laughs) We're going there on this program, Um, but it's not that bad. But um, also, I think those commentaries were written in a more modest time than we're at now. But anyways, in chapter three... Ruth takes her mother-in-law's advice and says, why don't you, you pursue the favor of Boaz? And Ruth watches Boaz, and she figures out where he eats and drinks and figures out where he sleeps. So this is actually a little bit creepy. Um, I, I don't know if anyone watches where I eat and drink and sleep at night. I know my dog does. Like, he's got the, the pattern worked out. Um, but, like, if, if I find, like, somebody – I know Anthony's just the one here in the studio. Like, if Anthony's creeping out and, like, watching where I sleep – you know, well, she's she's you know I forget the proper word gleaning. She's gleaning his fields. Yeah, and so I mean they're around each other enough. They're spending their work days together. You're gonna learn where people eat. Yeah, but I mean, like, do you watch where I? I mean, like, we work together. Do you come in and be like, I'm gonna figure out and watch him sleep? Definitely not. Yeah, that's what I thought. It it goes a little step further. But anyways, so she watches where he sleeps and she waits till he goes to bed. And she comes in and she uncovers his feet and lays down at his feet. And this is really a sign that she's asking not for all of this material redemption first and foremost. Again, we're critical thinkers. We can realize more than one thing are happening at the same time. She doesn't come in and scream and say, hey, Boaz, you're kin to us. Why don't you redeem us? Again, there's, there's a next of kin first of that, and she doesn't go to that person and say, hey, give us material wealth. Take care of our stuff. 
but instead she comes and humbles herself and asks for the protection of marriage. That's really what's happening in chapter 3 where she comes in in the night and uncovers his feet and lays down. She's asking for the protection of marriage. And let me pick up in chapter 3, verse 8. At midnight the man was startled. This is Boaz. And he turned over and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. I don't know how many people encounter that. Um, Boaz is depicted as, an, as a very upstanding man, and he's totally shocked by this. And it's something which you can interpret this to be a shocking thing. And many people in the ancient world would have even seen this as a shocking thing. Even Boaz realizes if people see this going on, they're going to think something improper is going, going on. Something untoward righteousness is going on here. Anyways, lying at his feet is a woman. Verse 9, he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Who are you? Or, sorry, I got that mixed up. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. The last instance of your loyalty is better than that of the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And in the scene, we see that there's a lot of different ways that they can take this. And if you continue reading it, Boaz realizes, you know, if people see Ruth coming out of here, they're going to say bad things are going on, rumors are going to be started. And both Ruth and Boaz, they have enough self-control to live through this night without anything um, improper going on. And the scene, it really is one that's interesting because she comes and she doesn't come in demanding all of the side effects of the two getting married, but... Obviously, that's, that's something which is part of the scene, and it's one of the pieces of the puzzle. But we, we're also smart enough to realize that if she just wanted those other things, she would have gone to someone else. And even Boaz realizes that. You said you could have, you could have gone to your first of kin, who would have had the actual, by Jewish custom, the obligation to redeem you. Or you could have gone to a young man. You could have gone to one who was poor or rich, just one who was more appealing. But instead, you've come here to me. Which means there's some amount of, of faith that you have going on, not in myself, but you're actually moving towards something other than just selfish greed. There's something going on with your character here. And Boaz recognizes the sincerity of Ruth, and he is willing to marry her. Moreover, he is willing to redeem both Ruth and Naomi, who have become widows living lowly lives in society. And as the story comes to a close, we find that Boaz and Ruth, they get together, they get married. She gives birth to a son. And she's the ancestor of both King David and Jesus. So, it's a very good story. But really what we learn from this is that sometimes when life gives you difficulty, you do have to take a leap of faith. And it's a spiritual thing. You need to turn to God to come out of that. But your leap of faith should be oriented in a way that says, God, I don't have the means to do service for you. Again, Ruth doesn't even have the, the means to, to care for, for Naomi. But she says, I'm going to take a leap of faith and do service and caregiving for another. And that is so profound. Anthony? Well, I think that's something that um, we've been touching on a lot here recently is that whenever one takes a leap of faith, it should be uh, in service. And to take a leap of faith for yourself is really basically to test the Lord. Um, you know, whenever the devil tempts Jesus to jump off the cliff, Jesus says, it's written, you shall not test the Lord your God. But the, And the devil's like, but you'll be saved by the angels. They'll come down and, yes. and save you. But Jesus says, you don't test the Lord. And so does that mean that Jesus is unwilling to take a leap of faith? Absolutely not. Jesus is totally willing to take, take a leap of faith. Jesus is saying that this is not a leap of faith in the normal sense where it is in service to God or in, uh, to others. This, is, this would be something purely for myself to get off this cliff faster and get away from you. Yeah. You know? 
And that is what um, Ruth is doing here. Ruth has taken a leap of faith into a foreign land, Israel, a foreign culture, Israel, <laughs> and all of this in service to her mother-in-law by the duty of the relationship she had with her son. And yeah, it's a huge thing because it's it's not just that she's taken a leap of faith and it's like an equal leap of faith. Like if she stays in, in Moab, she probably has a lot better chance of prosperity and carrying on with her life. Her going to the land of Judah really is a huge encumbrance. Like this, this is a huge leap of faith for her. And it's not just that it's the same as taking a leap of faith at home because there's no guarantee she would have, you know, prosperity or another husband or family at home. She's doing it in a way that is fundamentally kind of opposed to it. Again, there's, there's a lot of things going on there and it's so beautiful to see this happen. Well, in conclusion, as we wrap this up, send us your thoughts, questions, and comments, but do keep this to your heart. Whenever life throws you some difficult situation, even if it's not as big as becoming a widow like Ruth, but no matter what it is, when you take that leap of faith and say, God, I want to do service for you, that is a powerful thing. And we find that redemption is something which which works within that God's redeeming desire. It it blesses that that heart that says, I'm not doing this just for the side effects, though side effects may come, they may not, you never know. But, and by side effects, I mean, you know, having Naomi also taken care of, having the land dealt with, actually getting a husband, actually having family and prosperity, you know, that we don't have any guarantees of that in this life. Those are, are things which are our luxuries, and we should be very grateful for whatever place we're at in life and realize that that God's salvation, it it is enough to, to carry us through eternity. Um but when we turn our hearts to God and say, what can we do in service? Beautiful things happen. Well, with that, we hope you enjoyed this program. Again, this is Kingdom of the Lagos. I'm Pastor J. Dillon Proctor. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day. <laughs>